Let me pray as we begin, ask for God's help. Lord, as we saw last week and as Tony reminded us a little while ago, we thank you that you come and you bind up our wounds and at great cost to yourself you provide all that we need. And thank you in one sense, that's not just a one-off thing, but that is a daily ongoing thing through life. So would you provide what we need this morning as we look at these verses together? Would you speak to us? And as we hear your voice, would it bring life? In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you've been here for any length of time at Magdalen Road, you will know that one of the things we sometimes talk about is church being like a family meal, not a restaurant. That is, if we treat it like a restaurant, it doesn't really work as community. In a restaurant, you go in, you find a seat, you sit down, you get what you want, you pay the bill, you leave a review on TripAdvisor, and if it wasn't quite right, then you will grumble, and you will advise your friends not to go there. But a family meal is different. Everyone's getting stuck in, pudding, starters, washing up, putting away, extra chairs from upstairs, digging the back of the cupboard to try and find the cutlery you've not used for ages that used to just be for camping, but you've got an extra five people. You go find a side table, because that will do with a chair, won't it? And, and some people are in need of a break. That's fine, they're exhausted, and they just sit on the sofa, and they are chatting and encouraging and, and spurring you on, cheering you on, and that's fine, but everyone is part of the family. It's a community. It's how we do church. Sleeves rolled up, serving one another as we serve the Lord Jesus. If you've been around for the last few weeks at Morden Road, you will know we're in a challenging bit of Luke's Gospel. Do you remember, we are following Jesus from all the way in the north to all the way in the south, and we know that he's come to bring freedom. We know that his words bring life. We know that it's the kind of life we were made for. But doesn't it just sound a bit like hard work? Our glorious king is heading from the north to the south, 9 verse 51 onwards, step by step, each little bit of the way. And, and so following him means a daily death to self. And we saw that there might be opposition. We start to doubt. And we saw that it's going to mean changes in our earthly relationships and even maybe we don't have a place to lay our head and the doubts are getting a bit louder. We're beginning to think, it sounds good, is he worth it though? Is he really worth it? It's going to be painful. And then last week, last week he goes and expands and stretches our understanding of what it means to be a neighbour and so just as he shows love and mercy and is generous towards people who are naturally his enemies, or as Paul would say, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that kind of love, mercy, generosity is meant to be in us as well. There's meant to be a, a family likeness that develops. Maybe God's given you opportunities this week. Thank you to those of you who shared on the WhatsApp. It's encouraging. God gave us opportunities to share him with those who weren't like us. And I don't know about you, but I can begin to feel pretty overwhelmed at that point. Hang on, I've got to follow him like that and serve like that and, and love people like that? and Really? And I can probably plod on and it looks like I'm doing all right. 
And I know what I'm meant to do, but probably inside my perspective and my attitude and my heart will be a bit reluctant. I'll just be a bit moany on the inside. Another email, another Excel spreadsheet, really? Resentful internal grumblings and complaints. Which I think is where we get to in Luke's gospel for this morning. If you look down at verse 38, you'll see we're in a place called Bethany now. And for those of you geography buffs, what that means is Luke is not really telling us what happened next. But he's telling us what we need to hear. Because Bethany is actually just a couple of miles away from Jerusalem. Bethany is at the end of the journey. But Luke has deliberately placed it here for us. Why? Well, because I wonder if we need to hear it. And he knows that we need to hear it. Because he knows the tendency of our hearts and the grumbles and the complaints and the fact that we could, yeah, we will just plod on and we will crash on and we will do that rotor and do that thing. But he knows what we're like on the inside. He knows that very easily we can become Martha-like. And so Luke comes and applies the balm of the gospel to weary hearts like ours. You see, when there's been so much on service, and when it's all been quite challenging and difficult, and there is so much to do, and so much activity, he knows our tendency towards being overwhelmed, and to lose perspective, and to grumble and moan and end up bitter. Or maybe that's just me. I suspect it's not. I suspect it's most of our hearts, isn't it? So let's have a dig in. And notice at the outset that Martha is, well, she is an example. She is one who has opened her home to Jesus. She is showing him hospitality. Remember, that is, that is just the kind of house that the 72 were looking for a couple of weeks ago with Matt. Do you remember 10 verse 5? When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. So she is showing them hospitality. She as an example of what it's meant to be like. And so Jesus is there, presumably the other 12 as well. And in they go. And of course, hospitality matters. It's a culture of hospitality. Beans on toast and a pack of digestives probably won't cut it. That would be dishonouring to Jesus. But boy, oh boy, there isn't there lots to do when Jesus is coming round for dinner? You hear he's on his way, heart rate goes up, all hands on deck. This is not a drill. I just need a day or two to prepare, but I've got, I've got an hour. What are we going to do? At the minimum, I need to clear the front hall, and I need to run around with a hoover, and I've got to put a batch of rice on and chop some veggies and cook the meat, and I'm just going to hope no one looks in the spare room, that, that that's just going to be out of bounds. And then maybe a quick change of clothes, and we'll all be okay. And it'll be tricky, but it's going to be okay. We've got Mary helping as well, and we, we might just pull it off. Okay, we might just make it. And so Martha feels it. She is seeking to be hospitable. She is seeking to be a neighbor. Maybe you've got some sympathy for Martha. 
I suspect you might. I think I do. It's not that what she's doing is wrong in and of itself. She is serving, and and it is the serving deacon-type word that Luke uses. She is showing love and kindness. She is being a neighbor, and so she is busy, and that's to be expected, isn't it? Isn't it? In one sense, she's an amazing example of some of what we've seen in the last few weeks in Luke. You could lift her up and go, this is what service looks like. Look how busy she is. Look how active. There's nothing wrong in and of itself with the serving. That is not what is wrong. But there is something wrong with Martha. You see in verse 40, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And the distracted word is key. That distracted word really matters. Read distracted, but think something that is so important that it becomes all-consuming to you. Nothing else matters in one sense. It's that project, that target, that thing that you're working on, that date in the diary, that meeting you've got coming up, and you are distracted by that thing. And suddenly things get out of perspective. And that thing becomes the thing. And that seems to be where Martha's gone. She wanted to, maybe she wanted to pull off something really, really special for Jesus. And she got it really, really out of perspective. Such that the the bitterness kind of bubbles out to the point where it's not just Martha at the side of the room. Mary, Mary, I need you in the kitchen quick. There's not a subtle whisper of, can you come and help? It's, Jesus, don't you care about me? She's left me to do this. Lord, Lord, don't you care that I'm doing this on my own? For, For where was Mary, we say? Where was Mary? She was sat at the feet of Jesus. It was outrageous. How can she do that? Does she not know how much stuff there is to do around the house with Jesus coming? She's not lifting a finger. It's typical. Typical Mary. Just thinking about herself the whole time. It's not fair. Why she left me to do everything? And look at how Jesus responds. It's a bit of a play on words. In the original, we lose it in ours. But in the original, it's, he talks about Mary's portion being better. Some of the older translations will have that. Maybe that's what you've memorized in the past. But portion is kind of a food word. It's a portion of fries or something. Martha, you are worried about laying on all these portions for us. There's rice, there's bread, there's salad, and all the rest. Where... Just one portion really matters. There's only one portion that really matters, and that is listening to me. Listen to my word, says Jesus. And so Mary is sat there being truly fed. And that's the end of the story. In one sense, five verses, inclusive, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42. Five elements, uh, Jesus and the crew drop in. One lady gets stressed in the kitchen trying to prepare. The other lady sits at his feet just listening. The lady in the kitchen loses it, and Jesus responds. There's the five elements of the story. But I want to say this is incredibly contemporary and actually incredibly relevant. This is a story for us. This is a lesson from Luke that we need to hear And I think that we need to keep hearing. 
These are verses that we never kind of grow on from. I suspect this will be a lifelong battle in some ways. We need to keep hearing them. I've got a sentence summary for you, and if you're drifting in and out, come back in for a moment. Let me give you this sentence summary, and then you can drift back out again. Here it is. When we don't listen to Jesus, our service for him overwhelms us. Okay, I'll say it again. When we don't listen to Jesus, our service for him overwhelms us. And so I want for the rest of the time just to slow right down and drill right into those two things to help unpack that statement. And so to think firstly as to why we need to listen to him. Why we need to listen to him. Just in passing notice, Mary is sat at his feet. It is almost as if he is her rabbi and she is his disciple. Which is obvious but we mustn't miss how culture-transforming, counter-cultural Jesus is to the Christian, the Christian faith was and still is when it comes to the role of women. Whether that place is here as Jesus taught her or elsewhere in Luke where you will see that his ministry is funded by rich women or the women who witnessed the resurrection or whether that's Paul and his diverse and complex mission teams, men and women from all over the place, all places of society, all stratas, all backgrounds, mixed teams. She is listening, and she is learning, and she is thinking, and Jesus is happy that she is there. In fact, she has done the right thing, he says. Because we need to listen. Because we all need to listen. Because we live in a world of so many voices. So many voices. So much truth being spoken into our lives, competing with each other, intersecting with each other, disagreeing with each other, seeking to persuade us that this voice is the voice to listen to. This voice is the truth. This is the one we should trust. In this voice we will find life. But how do we know which voice to listen to? How do we know which voice really matters? Who can we trust? It's part of the story of the Bible, of course. From the very beginning, when we walk out on the God of life and in comes death, it's because we don't want his loving, life-giving word over us. We, we listen to another voice, a voice that tempts us, a voice that pushes away from God, and pulls us away from life. And it's a voice I think that we still hear today. When you face that struggle, or when you face that question, don't you sometimes just get the idea, does God really care? Does he really know best? Really? Can I really trust him? Does he really want what is best for me? I mean, it's going to be costly to follow him. Maybe he doesn't quite mean it like that. Maybe some of these stark statements that he seems to make, I can just, just take the bits that I like and leave the bits that I'm less keen on. Or it's a power play. God wants to put you in your place. Don't listen. You just do you. You have your truth. 
And the voices say, listen to me and I will give you the life that you long for. It was a challenge then, it's a challenge now. Voices disciple us, voices shape us, voices make us promises. So many voices and yet Jesus says, listen to me, mine is the voice that matters the most. Mine is the voice that brings you life. I don't know about you, isn't it easy to just get so busy and so so much WhatsApp or emails or stuff to do, all the things that we need to do, and so easily these, these words of Jesus, they just get kind of squished and squished and squished and, and squeezed out. I was talking to, um, a true story, talking to a pastor friend of mine a little while ago who for various reasons basically stopped listening to Jesus. Now he didn't. They were still preparing the Bible studies and still writing sermons and still doing the stuff they needed to do, doing all the things, but it all just got quite professional and arm's length. And so they ended up sort of for themselves stopping listening to his voice. It it can be so easy, even in a position like I have or those in leadership here, to do his work and yet almost to seek to do it without him. And unsurprisingly, when you try and be an under-shepherd without listening to the voice of the chief shepherd, stuff doesn't really work very well. I think it's a wider issue. It's a wider issue in our kinds of churches where we we love the Bible and we value the scriptures and we we say, yes, we're an evangelical church. That means we we go to his authority first and, and yet we struggle to read it. What is going on there? Often we're so active, so task-oriented, one to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, and in the midst of all the other voices, what happens? We stop listening to his voice. And they chip away at our confidence in him. They chip away at our confidence in who we are in him. They erode us. The voices are loud. They say, come and follow me. Come and listen to me. Come and find life in me. And the words of Jesus get quieter and all the other voices drown him out. And so they end up being the ones that ruminate in us and go around in our heads and rattle around, leaving us in a mess, leaving us like a little rowing boat in the middle of the ocean tossed this way and that way and this way and that way by all the other voices. And suddenly we're fragile and bitter and complaining and I don't know how good your Bible reading is or Bible listening. There are some great apps out there, but this isn't meant to guilt you into reading it again at all. But if the stats are to be believed, there'll be lots in this room who will struggle. We will be struggling to listen to his voice, struggling to make it a part of our daily life. So maybe a good question for home groups this week is how can we squeeze his voice back in again? to our daily lives, if it's got squeezed out and crowded out by all the other voices, how can we squeeze it back in? Or another one is, why do you think it's got squeezed out? What's going on there? Dig down a bit. Or what are those other voices? Who are the voices that we care about? Who are the voices that shape us? And how do they shape us in our ruminations and our internal monologue and And how aware of those voices are you? How are they shaping you? Do you know that they're shaping you or have you not even 
realize that anymore. They just become the voices and we don't even think about it. And maybe then to pray for each other in home groups that with Peter we might know that well, it's with Jesus that we have the words of eternal life. Where else are we to go? And they're not dry and dusty, soul-sapping words. They are words of life. They're not just piles and piles of thou shalt nots. But they're words of life. Or that we might know that his words are the solid rock upon which we can build. The only rock that will help us to weather the storms of life. The only rock that will help us to to deal with the final judgments. Or, Or that we don't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if you've never read a Bible before, Maybe you're just looking in on Christian things. Maybe you're new here. Maybe you've just never got around it. Maybe you're of a kind of younger generation and it's just never really been a thing that you've done. Well, can I encourage you to grab a Bible and just try a few verses a day, one verse, and just chew over it through the day. Listen to his voice. See something of how good and beautiful and kind he is. Be shaped by his voice. Truth to feed you, a voice that you can trust. Like any relationship, If there's no communication, it it doesn't go so well, does it? And if you don't own a Bible, steal one of ours. If you'll read it, it's yours, just take it. If you speak another language, there are some in the foyer, I'll get told off later, just take them. If you're going to read them, take them, please. It's our gift to you. We need to keep listening to his voice, and when we don't listen to his voice, it all goes wrong. His is the only voice that brings life. And yet there are so many other ones which are so captivating and alluring. Look what happens when we don't listen, second point. So we've thought about the voice and why we need the voice, his voice. But what happens when we don't listen? Imagine it's coffee after church. I apologize to whoever's on coffee. Imagine you've got identical twins serving you coffee after church. There we are, queuing up around the corner. Identical twins, completely the same, same mannerisms, same tone. For some reason today, they've worn the same clothes. And they look exactly the same, and they are serving you coffee or tea. But actually, they are very different. You don't know what's going on inside them. You don't know their hearts. Maybe the first one, full of the joy of the Lord, bubbling over with enthusiasm and excitement. Smiles, they, they, what a privilege to pour coffee for you this morning. There they are, smiling gently, small child, steals three biscuits. We love you, it's okay. (laughs) They love to serve coffee. First twin, they love it. Second one next door, smiles, happiness. But on the inside, they are grumbling and they are complaining and they are moaning. And they hate it. They are sick of the kids who steal the biscuits. They are sick of the teapots that drip everywhere and the coffee machines that don't plunge very well. And why is the coffee so cheap anyway? How often they are always on the rotor. And why is it nobody else helps? And why is it when their team, someone substitutes out, it's always you subbing in? No one else steps forward. And why do I always feel so busy and so stressful? I hate this coffee thing. It's not fair. Two twins, very different. Remember the point I said, when we don't listen to Jesus, our service for him overwhelms us. And so I wonder if twin two, even though it's not obvious on the outside, because we're very good at wearing masks, aren't we? We are professional mask wearers. 
I don't mean COVID. I just mean, you know what I mean. Maybe twin two has just got overwhelmed. Maybe they've stopped listening to Jesus. And they see the rotor coming up again that they're on. And their heart just sinks. I once heard it said this. I said, you'll know how servant-hearted you are when someone treats you like a servant. Maybe that resonates with you. Maybe that resonates with the second twin serving coffee. And you look at your diary, you look at the rotor, you think it's junior church, it's church lunch, it's that meeting, it's those emails, it's that Excel spreadsheet, and your heart just drops. Maybe that resonated with Martha. She was being treated like a servant. It didn't go down well for her. She, she felt taken for granted, maybe. She resented what she was doing. Maybe she felt overwhelmed, maybe. And how does Jesus respond? I love it. It's beautiful. Have a look. He doesn't roll his eyes at her. There's no disappointed. Verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. His response is actually a real response of kindness. I'm not sure she thinks so or gets it at first, but dig a bit and you'll see that she's wrong because he repeats her name, Martha, Martha. He is not belittling her or castigating her. He is loving her. His heart bleeds for her. Because later on in the gospel, you will get the same kind of repetition again from the mouth of Jesus. And each time he is caring deeply for the people he's speaking to. He will say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. It's his tender compassion. He has a heart moved for her. Because when our service, because our service goes wrong, when we lose sight of the one we're doing it for, and when we stop listening to his voice. For Martha, there is one thing that matters more than feeding Jesus, and it's being fed by Jesus. Because he knows our hearts. And he knows us, and he knows when the voices crowd in. And he knows when we stop listening to him and when our service gets overwhelming and we grumble and complain and are distracted and we stop listening to the voice that matters. And he looks at you with compassion. And he doesn't roll his eyes. He doesn't tut at you. He loves us. And he says, listen to me. Listen to my words. Listen to my voice. Trust me. Come and find life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your voice which brings life. Lord, you, you know the voices in our world. You know 
the messages we hear, you know, the way that they are shaping us, discipling us, how easy it is to listen to them, how easy it is to turn from you in one sense. And so we pray that we might be a church that listens to you because we love you, because your words bring life. And we're sorry. We're sorry when service goes wrong because we stop listening. We're sorry when we get overwhelmed and distracted. We're sorry for the internal monologue. We're sorry for ruminations and grumps and moaning and... Lord, we're sorry. Change us, please. Shape us. Mould us more into your likeness. More into the kind of servant that you want us to be. More willing to be those who follow you with the daily death to self and the life that comes from being in you. Change us and shape us, we pray. In your son's name, amen.